Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the VC perspective with my friend Barack Sendik. How's it going, Barack? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Joe. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great. I'm excited to talk to Barack because he is a venture capitalist, that's VC. And for those of you who don't know the financial world, that's most of us. I'm excited to talk to a VC, especially Barack, because they have a view of our industry that's very different than what we get day to day. If you're an operator or your sales guy, you never think of the global industry. That is Barack's job to look at the world that way. So Barack, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Today, uh, I'm calling from our offices in Menlo Park in California. So I'm a partner at Autotech Ventures. Autotech Ventures is a venture capital fund uh, firm. We are on our third fund. Uh, we have uh, close to $500 million asset under management. Our third fund uh, is a brand new fund. We started investing from this fund in the beginning of this year. So it's fresh new capital. We are actively investing and it's a $175 million fund. And we only invest in ground transportation related startups. And that's a wide spectrum. And that obviously includes supply chain and logistics. Yep. So when you said you have three different funds and you have a brand new one with all this fresh money, explain that. I would just think, why is it not just have one giant pile of cash that you got all your investments? Why are there separate funds? Yeah, yeah. So it's the timing of it. So like the fund started back in 2016. So that was the initial fund. And we invested that and then we had the second fund and then we invested that and now we are on our third fund. We don't have three funds at the same time. We have the third fund. Of course, the first and the second fund still have some reserves for the existing companies, the ones uh, that are going great. We want to keep investing, but we are making new investments only from uh, the third fund, the new fund. So I hope you can give us a little education on how venture capital works. Who's your investors? Who gives you that all that money to invest? Oh, great question. So we are uh, a, a little bit of a different beast. We are a very industry-specific fund. So a good chunk of our majority, actually, uh, of our limited partners, so these are our investors, are top global ground transportation corporations. So they know the biz. Yeah, so these are OEMs, car manufacturers, truck manufacturers, tier ones, tier twos, and logistics companies as well. And they invest with us because uh, we provide market intelligence to them. Uh, We understand their pain points, their innovation roadmaps, and we provide deals, deal curation to them. Even if we don't invest in a company from a VC point of view, that company might be very relevant to one of our LPs. So we do that matchmaking as well. And yeah, we, we just become their eyes and ears in the in the startup world. Yeah. And so what's what's an advantage of getting VC money? I mean, why, why get it? Why not just bootstrap it and own everything? No, great. Uh, and uh, that might be the case for many companies that, uh, you know, Most. If, you can, yeah, <laughs> if you can, if you can bootstrap, great, do that. But sometimes, you know, the opportunity is so big and you need the resources right now today. You, you want to hire the engineers, you want to spend money on marketing. Uh, so 
and you don't have the revenues to do that. So instead of growing like steadily over many, many years, if you want to accelerate that growth and capitalize on the opportunity now, then VC money is a good fit for you. Right. And I suspect that you could tell us this if we spent some time that somebody's bootstrapping and then there's another company that decides we'll take the VC money and the VC money says we'll throw a few million dollars at scaling and a few million dollars at research and they're growing like a rocket ship. <laughs> and the it, you could be the first mover, but if you bootstrapped and you grew grew steadily but slowly, yeah. you're second basically seem like you're second to market. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, time is the most important resource. Uh, and in order to accelerate that growth, uh, VC money is a good solution. Okay, well, before we get into today's topic, which is the VC perspective, we want to talk about a few trends. But before we do that, Barack, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us, give us your background. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, so I am originally from Turkey, Istanbul. So I was born there, grew up there, went to high school there. And then I came to the United States for college. So I went to Caltech, studied electrical engineering there. And as an only child, like at the age of 18, coming to the United States and living on campus with all these smarter than me people, other students, that was a fascinating experience. Like it's like there was always something to do, like somebody was doing something very cool. And like those four years were very amazing, like uh, never a dull moment. So that was a really good start to being in a new country. So I noticed I looked at your LinkedIn profile. You went to a school in Turkey where you you learned English there? Yeah, so I, I went to a middle school and high school for Robert College. It's an American institution. It's actually like one of the oldest American schools outside of the United States uh, in Istanbul. And I started there in sixth grade all the way until college. Uh, and almost all of our teachers were Americans or uh, British, etc. Is that Was that set up like an American school for the children of expats? It was actually not just children of expats, but it was... So the system in Turkey was there was a central exam where every student needs to take after primary school. And based on your score, you are placed in a, a middle school. So it was like that. like And that was like the top school in Turkey. And, you know, uh, you need to be... Uh, you need to score really high to get into that. You didn't get in Caltech being dumb. <laughs> you might have felt dumb when you got there. But... I know. Like, I'm like, wow, like, how did I get in here? Like, everyone is smarter than me. <laughs> no, I'm sure they aren't. So what surprised you about when you came to the United States? Was it going to Caltech? Was that your first experience in the United States? Yes, that was. Uh, that was definitely my first experience. I think, you know, not, I wouldn't say like the, the college time, that was like, you know, it's still like you are students, you are in a very close environment. But when I started my professional life in the United States, what surprised me the most and what I still love about this country is everyone is so open to helping you, like especially from a founder's point of view or from a startup point of view, like you meet a stranger and you tell them about your business or what you are doing and they're immediately like, ah, you got to talk to this person without expecting anything in return. Like it's, I think that is the perfect environment to foster innovation and startups. And it doesn't exist in a lot of countries, let me tell you that. So that, that was like a very eye-opening and uh, I, I love that 
side of the country. I will throw this out there. Since you're on the West Coast, I think that's very common. And entrepreneurs are very common in Silicon Valley, obviously. And I'm not saying the rest of the country isn't entrepreneurial, but I think there's it's almost been perfected out there where you have these great <laughs> universities. I mean, there's a reason Silicon Valley was magic for so long and really the only magic, not so much anymore. Not that you guys have lost a step, but you know, there's other cities that are close behind right now. And it was magic for a long time where it was no one else was close. Yeah. And now you could say, now if you had a brand new, I, I hear people say, we started in Pittsburgh because of the environment here, like these, the schools, the money, the everything. And I was like, the talent. I was like, who knew? <laughs> I'm in Detroit and I still joke about it. I always say, everybody else is playing games. We build cars here, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, I'll, I'll tell you that. Like I went to school in California, but right after college, I moved to Chicago. So I actually like spent a majority of my professional life in Midwest. Okay. So I'm not like I, and I came back uh, to California, but like to your point, like Chicago is the logistics hub or logistics tech hub of the country. <laughs> yeah. And it's, 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 it exists there as well. So give us some career. I know you went and you got your MBA. Where'd you get your MBA at? University of Chicago. So when I was living in Chicago, I decided to get done. my Nicely MBA done. There. They used to be part of the Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> they probably will have to. Everything, everything's coming Big Ten now or SEC. So give us some career highlights before you joined Auto Tech Ventures. And then why did you join Auto Tech Ventures? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I I did robotics in college, like uh, a lot of uh, robotics during the summers, working in the robotics lab. And right after graduating, uh, I took a job in Chicago with electromotive diesels. It was a it was part of GM. It's the division that was building heavy haul diesel uh, locomotives. Yeah. So I was in their control systems, you know, with the vision of like making uh, locomotives automotive. I worked there up until 2007 and then decided that I want to go to the business side of things and joined a consulting firm in Chicago, did strategy consulting for many, many years. And along the way, uh, I had my own startups, raised a little bit of money, uh, failed, learned a lot of things about not to do, what not to do, and then got my MBA. And at the University of Chicago, I took a venture capital class by uh, a professor uh, named Scott Meadow. He's a very well-known uh, VC, successful VC. I became his teaching assistant, head teaching assistant, and he became kind of my mentor. And then he introduced me to this uh, other Turkish American guy who wanted to start an accelerator program in Chicago. An accelerator means like it's uh, some well-known names are like YC and Techstars, where you have group of startups and you educate them, you mentor them like for like three months. And then you help them with their fundraising, uh, hiring, business development, uh, go-to-market strategy. So you are accelerating their business. Yeah, and you mentioned YC. We've had a number of YC or a Y Combinator. It's the letter Y and then Combinator on the podcast. And typically you have to, I think it's 1% of companies that apply to get in Y Combinator actually get in Y Combinator. But then once you're in that program, they develop you. And I think at some point when you graduate, they say, we're going to give you money. And that becomes the good, good housekeeping badge uh, that, that the other VCs are looking at. Am I correct? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, a YC is a tremendous institution. I think, you know, they, they, they are definitely 
many, many successful companies came out of there. And of course, there's the selection bias. Like they, as you said, they choose 1% uh, of the applicants. So hence, like the ones that are there are the good ones. And there's, uh, there's high uh, competition uh, in investing in them. So, and very time sensitive. It's, it's a wild, crazy world. Good for them, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very important piece of the ecosystem. So we built something similar to that in Chicago, helping foreign startups enter the US market. So like you have a, let's say a Turkish startup, but the product is also suitable for the U.S. market. We would help those startups and founders enter the U.S. market again with their fundraising, go to market strategy, team building, marketing, sales, all of that. So I've done that for multiple years. And through that, I went to many, many different countries, work with a lot of different international founders. And uh, I joined then a Turkish VC based out of Istanbul in 2016. And at that point, you know, uh, I was uh, recently married to Ellie, my wife, who is from Chicago. And we thought that this, is, this would be a good adventure. Move back to Turkey, spend some time, uh, live the expat life there. So we moved to Turkey and lived there, worked with that VC from Revo Capital for three years had uh, our first daughter uh, in Turkey. And then we thought that it's, it's time to move back to the United States and continue doing what I like to do, investing uh, in Silicon Valley. And came across Autotech uh, Ventures. I knew a couple of their portfolio companies, heard great things about their team. And at that point, like I, I had already like made a couple of investments in logistics, in warehouse management, in last mile delivery, in grocery delivery and I love the space and again this was before COVID so it wasn't like sexy so to say like it, it wasn't that attractive it was like this old logistics space that nobody was really paying attention but I liked it because it's a huge market and there are a lot of problems to solve and a lot of opportunities because of that and I thought that like uh, Autotech's focus on transportation logistics automotive mobility was a great fit and they must have liked me too. So I joined the firm at the end of 2019 and then COVID came. So uh, we decided to stay in Turkey a little bit longer. Like why move to the most expensive city in the, in the world in the middle of, uh, you know, in the middle of a pandemic that you would be working from home anyway. So work from home from Turkey for a couple of years and then went to Chicago, spent some time there with my wife's family, and then came back to the Silicon Valley earlier this year. Very nice. Very nice. I can't help every time you say Istanbul, I think about many years ago when I was in elementary school, I had a teacher and he used to always sing the song. It was like a 50s song at Istanbul. Not Constantinople. Not, Constant <laughs> <laughs> Not Constantinople. So that is Istanbul used to be Yes, yes, back in 15th century, yes. Yeah, so I, every once in a while when I go, where's per so A lot of people who are from that, I think Iraq, Iran, friends of mine say, oh, I'm from Persia. I'm like, dude, there's been, you were born after Persia was gone. <laughs> <laughs> and like, but my parents say they're Persian. I was like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of the identity. <laughs> anyway, so 
we want to get the VC perspective. So before we hit record, I was asking you, what are some trends that really interest you in auto tech ventures? And you said, well, the things that interest us, where we're investing. <laughs> so so I want to talk about some of those. And we, we came up with three areas. So the first one is... Yeah, so we are a very thesis-driven investor. So, you know, we we talk, we see a lot of things. As It's one, one of the nice things about being sector-specific. It's not like we see a gaming company one day and a health company another day. Like right. we all see in one domain. So after a while, you start forming a point of view, a thesis around things. And one of the, one of that, the, those theses were around automation, robotic process, uh, automation, RPA. And a verticalized version of that, like I. And you mean that's a digital? You don't mean actual physical? No, 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 no. Yeah, digital, digital kind of RPA uh, is a term that is mainly for you know digital documents, like you know taking emails, PDFs, uh, and instead of like doing manual work, you know you are automating those workflows. We just had a podcast. We've done a few podcasts on robotic process automation, and guys, I think for our business, if you're talking about. You might have somebody getting 200 emails a day that are asking, give me a quote. Well, there's no reason <laughs> you can't get those to be managed by RPA or I think IPA is intelligent process automation, which is more the AI driven. And I think that's, is becoming, I'm just going to throw this out there. I think this is one of those things that's becoming table stakes because that drives down your cost mm -hmm. to manage each transaction in your business. And I think now as we're struggling with headcount, it's really hard to get somebody to say, hey, come in and manage 200 emails. And if you go to the bathroom for five minutes and come back, you find like you're behind. Now you're going to have to compete with somebody who has a real job down the street for that guy. Yeah. So we need to start using RPA and IPA and the, this kind of digital automation. No, absolutely. And, you know, the RPA has become a hot subject in the last five years or so. And it started with more horizontal plays, like, you know, these platforms that came to be to like, oh, we can automate everything. And we made an, in my previous fund, we made an investment into one of those horizontal solutions. But then you realize that the real value is in verticalized solutions, because as you build these verticalized solutions, A, you are adding value in terms of like building workflows. It's not just a tool. Now like you're actually like automating the workflow. And as you do more and more processing, the system is getting better. So the example from our portfolio is a company called Clear Now with a K. And they do uh, customs clearance automation for uh, importers and exporters uh, across the globe. So they are in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Europe. Yeah, I'm going to interview them soon. <laughs> Great. No, yeah, ask them, all, uh, ask them about the details. But So it's a, it's a verticalized version of RPA, and they automate the customs clearance uh, process. So they gather the data from all these different documents that come via email, like you get an email. So it could be an attachment, right? At, exactly. And it's not just from one person. It is from the like, you know, the manufacturer in China and then the freight liner and then the uh, freight forwarder and the brokerage. Like you are getting all these different documents and it is able to understand what that document is, classify it, and then understand what's in that document, extract the data, and then automatically fill the custom forms and then, of course, like, you know, you want an expert to take a look at it and then you submit it to the government agencies. So it is automating that process. And it, 
it's not just about also reducing the workload and making it faster. It is also reducing the errors because it's not like, you know, humans make errors. So right. it's, this is reducing the errors as well. And the one another reason why we like customs clearances, it's not just an automation. It's also a visibility tool. Like you can track where your container is all the way uh, when it starts from uh, the source. So you can track it. You can see when it hits the port and when it is ready to be picked up. So you are avoiding penalties like demerit charges and whatnot. And now they are also getting into, they have started drayage services. And the way why we, the reason, one of the reasons why we invested was customs clearance is the starting point of the supply chain in the United States, like of the domestic supply chain. So if you have good visibility into that, you can get into trade, you can get into other things. It's the most upstream part of the process. Right. And, you know, before COVID, I always think a few years back was COVID. So before COVID, a very large shipper that I was advising on helping them select a 3PL, he said to me, as a vice president of this very large company, said, how long are we going to use emails for this process? And now we had a transportation management system, very advanced one. But his point was, every once in a while, there'd be something where I said, Barack, I sent you an email on that. Well, the problem with you sending me the email is it's separate from the record. And maybe I said, hey, Barack, that's going to be an extra $500 to do that. And then the, the I put it in the invoice, but you're like, wait a sec, this is $500 too much. You go, remember that email? You're like, now I got to go through all my emails. So what's interesting about what you're talking about is we're taking emails, which are, have a ton of flexibility, but we don't necessarily want people to have, we want people to have the flexibility to send that email, but then I want to have the rigor of it going into the right fields in a system that I can manage. And by the way, when you think about what this can be used for in, and this is not necessarily clear now, but it's just RPA or IPA, I could be doing my I could be making phone calls, doing whatever. And a whole bunch of emails could have been moved from an email form into my TMS, into my WMS, whatever system I had. And then at the end of the day, I look and go, all I have to do is double check yep. that they're all yep. correct. Yep. And you might just say, approve, 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 approve. And I have a <laughs> one of my daughters is a purchasing person. And she said, I get hundreds of requests. And I said, those all should be RPA, all of them into your... Into this, so she's acting as a clerk in many, taking information, putting into a system. We don't need that anymore, guys. This has been an industry that has lived on silos, and every silo had its own clerks to fill the information in, and we don't need that anymore. And the, the beauty is like, and you can also build rules like it. It doesn't even need in a lot of the cases for someone to take a look at it. Like in some cases, can just flow through, oh, yeah. and you eliminate the entire bottleneck. And the beauty of this is like, and it's not necessarily costing jobs. It's on the other, like on the contrary, it's like for a given customs clearance broker, now it is able to do more work actually. Like, because, you know, in these companies that are using clear now, it's just like that specific broker is now able to do more work. Right. I think we've gotten, you know, for a long time, the number one job in America was agriculture, farm, right? Then the, then the job became factory. That was the number one job in America. Then now I think it's clerk. 
I think at some point it's going to be data scientists because all those customer service people who are putting stuff into systems and taking stuff out of systems are going to be looking at the trends of that information as opposed to spending their days <laughs> cut copying and pasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you called that automation, and I think before we hit record, you called it digitalization or digital transformation. What other investments do you have within that space? So that's uh, you know that that's the main one in in the logistics space as we discussed like before. Another related one is you know when you, when we talk about all these documents coming from different parts, one of the pain points in logistics and supply chain is the fragmentation. Like there are so many different players and there are so many different platforms. And a lot of the new platforms is like, it's not the solution, it's becoming part of the problem. Now, like you have one more platform, like one more TMS, one more marketplace, one more digital broker. So when we look at this space, another point of view we had was there has to be this aggregation layer that is connecting these different parts. And in the past, I think a lot of the solutions were focusing on the collaboration, like how can we make these different parts collaborate more easily? But I think, you know, and there are a lot of failed attempts in that. Our belief was that like there has to be a solution that digitally connects these different parties. So our investment neutral does exactly that. It integrates with the TMSs of the brokers and shippers and gets the load data, freight load data, aggregates that and then make that available to carriers and other logistics tech players. So a carrier, instead of like calling the broker or 10 different brokers, they can search in the platform and then digitally book uh, loads. And similarly, now we see uh, with COVID especially, a wave of logistics tech companies and they don't want to do the heavy lifting of connecting into different brokers, different TMSs, different shippers. So neutral is becoming that layer, that connective tissue that is connecting them to the existing players as well. And again, like this is not a brokerage, it's the connectivity. Then you can, on top of that, you can build a digital marketplace, digital brokerage firm, a factoring company, a carrier dispatching system. Like once you have these fragmented platforms and players connected, sky is the limit. Like you can, you can enable all sorts of new technologies and uh, applications. So how do they make money? Yeah, so a couple of different ways. They, they, like for every kind. Do you know the company Plaid on in the fintech world where like you know it connects the bank accounts. Like so, you, you let's say that you have a stock brokerage uh, app. It needs to be connected to your bank account to take money or right. put money. So there's this company called Plaid that you can log in and it boom like you know with your one login it connects your application to your bank account. And that has used to be a big problem because oh, integrating yeah. into banks is, is a big hassle, takes months. So Plaid came and it uh, enabled all sorts of fintech companies. Kind of that connectivity between disparate systems. And some of these systems are very old and difficult to integrate with. So similar to them, they make a little bit of money for each transaction and each API call, so to say, if they're working with a technology company. And they are also like providing analytics, kind of similar to freight waves, you know, pricing, market analytics, and they may monetize that as well. And is the information become anonymous in some cases? 
So they, they don't like, yeah, they are very careful, of course, with privacy and the data privacy. So they don't share anything with anyone that they're not supposed to share, of course. So how would like a carrier or a broker, what would they, how would they interact with them? How would, how would they help? So they work with a broker. So they integrate into the TMS of the broker and then they onboard the carriers of that broker into the system. And that way, Got like, it. you know, if, if I'm a carrier and I, I'm working with 10 brokers, instead of calling 10 different brokers or sending them 10 different emails, I can just come to neutral and search in one place, kind of like Kayak. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And by the way, there used to be not so long ago when I worked for a carrier for a short time, not a good fit for me. <laughs> <laughs> you would talk to carriers and they would, or I'm sorry, you talk to brokers and they would say, oh, you got 500 trucks. Excellent. We'll send you our carrier packet and they want you to fill this out and then send it back to them. And I remember I did that. It takes all day. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm never, I'm going to quit this. This sucks. I'm not doing it. Well, then they never sent freight. Yeah. And I was like, and then somebody said, Joe, don't fill out anything till they give you business. I was like, oh, now you tell me. But that's a giant pain in the ass. And by the way, it has to be done. Yeah. Now, no one's arguing that. It's just it doesn't have to be done manually. And everybody doesn't have to have their, have to have their own version of how to do that. Yeah, no. There can be one industry standard. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And th hence the name neutral. So they want, they are the Switzerland only right. investor. They are, they are not a broker. They don't want to be a broker. It's, it's the Switzerland connecting different parts together. And the brokers love working with them because it enables them to find carriers faster uh, and more effectively. Yep. And by the way, before we hit record, I was talking to you about this. Is If we go over to Robinhood on, on when we talk about stocks, I can get free stock trades, right? And they get my information in exchange. And I said to you, how long until we have a broker that has a low end digital only and just says, it's free. Now we want you to, we want you to upgrade. We want you to ask for a little more help from us. We want to make some more money, but we'll give you that for free or very cheap because we don't have to do much. Yeah, exactly. And you said that we can never get to that until we get to this place where the information is aggregated enough that you can have some real confidence in pricing and digital booking like so like you cannot do that unless you can book a load digitally and you know and today like you know convoys of the world do that but that's within their ecosystem and their yes. brokerage it's not industry uh, wide and you cannot be the broker to be that Switzerland. You cannot be both the market maker and the broker. Like you have, you need to be just one of those. So you need neutral wants to be that layer that connects all these different platforms and players. Yeah. And I think guys, this is the kind of stuff we need to be thinking about in our industry because we did things the same way for a long time. And I can tell you because I'm getting older. I had a buddy who worked on Chicago Board of Options, made a really good living doing it. And he would go and basically push people in a pit and buy, scream buy, <laughs> buy, sell, sell. I watched him do it. And I was like, basically just like in a crowded bar shoving people. <laughs> and I kept saying to him every time I went, why doesn't a computer do your job? And now a computer does that job. Yep. I started my career as a draftsman designer, and we got paid very good money to do that. When I bump into someone I worked with many, many moons ago, and when the CAD systems came, we didn't see like a huge decrease in the amount of designers. In fact, if anything, it seemed like there was more of us. 
gone. You can't find somebody who just is a designer. Now they're design engineers. The job that was really difficult was the design part because you didn't have the, the technology. Well, now the technology does a lot of the heavy lifting. So an engineer doesn't need a designer to work with him. So, and I'm sure you experienced that in, at General Motors. There used to be far more designers at General Motors than engineers. <laughs> now I would I would bet they wouldn't have a dozen. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you can definitely, the technology is enabling to do more with less. Right. So don't be surprised if we have fewer clerks in the future because the silos are going to be connected through something like <laughs> neutral. And uh, don't be surprised if some of the stuff that we used to do in this business gets automated. And it doesn't mean you have to go away. It just means you become that data scientist. It means you can become more consultative to those exactly. shippers. Exactly. I think when we look at the market, when we talk to the market players, there will be always in addition to what you said, like there will be always a segment of the market that will want that high touch. They don't just want to like, you know, automatically do things. They want to interact with someone. So that is not going to disappear. But yeah, the, I think the nature of the work that people are doing might might be changing and will be changing. But again, like this is going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight because it's a trillion dollar market and we are talking about 0.1% of the market. Like there is still a lot to change. It's it, it, it kind of reminds me of the discussion we have with wind and solar. Yeah, we're going to use wind and solar. And, but it, if you have an impression that it's happening quickly or that it's, you know, soon we won't need fossil fuels, I think it's like 3% of the market, maybe less. <laughs> and and it's not to say that we don't want it to happen, but it's just yeah. slowly. This, this is the nature of the technology. But I will say this about technology. It's slow, it's slow and slow. And then one day it is super, super fast. <laughs> it's almost like it goes uphill and then it gets to the top of that hill. And when it comes back down the other side, it's fast. Yep, yep, absolutely. So we've talked about two trends. The first trend you talked about was automation, which includes like robotic process automation. And I'll throw in intelligent process automation, which is kind of using AI, not just rules, right? And you mentioned your investment over there was uh, what, clear was now. Again? Clear now. Yep, I'll talk to them soon. And then the second one was this aggregation level aggregator of information. And I think we're already seeing some of that in the market, but we're going to see a lot more of it. And you said your your company is what? Neutral. So it's N E W T R U L. Excellent. So what is the third trend that you guys are betting on? Yeah, no, so it's interesting. So you, it's kind of similar to what you mentioned about the $0, zero dollar uh, stock trading. We believe that uh, there are a lot of like fintech opportunities in logistics, in payments, in lending, especially with the owner operators and small carriers. They, they definitely have a working capital need to operate. Because, you know, they are getting paid in 30 days, 45 days, but, you know, they still need to buy fuel. They still need to live. They still, like, need to take care of they their They make that truck payment trucks, and buy that very expensive payment. diesel exactly. fuel. <laughs> so financial health, cash flow are very critical to that segment of the market, which is tremendous. And current solutions that help that segment, the incumbents, are not meeting the needs. Our good solutions are out there, but they are not meeting the needs. So we, we have one company called, and with that point of view, we invested in a company called Basic Block. They are doing factoring for freight invoices, and their whole vision is to go to zero dollar, zero percent factoring. 
Whoa, that's that's a big difference because I think we see one, two percent a lot of times, which seems cheap, but money's money, right? One percent of a big bill is a big bill. Exactly. And you know, as we discussed, it's not it's not going to be with the VC money. It's not like, you know, uh back by VC is fueling the zero percent factoring. It's actually a real business making money. And well, that how will, do they I mean, make money yes. if they don't? How do they make money? So they they are the factoring is just a starting point. If you think about it, it's uh, it's at the top of the financial value chain. And once you start factoring to carrier, a you see them if they they have a good business or not. Like you see who they work with, where they work with, how much they work, and with that information, you can actually offer other financial services and products to them. I'm talking about banking stuff so like you can offer them lending for fuel for repair or for even like the vehicles the trucks you can offer them savings accounts checking accounts uh, all credit card debit card so all of these services it's without knowing your customer without having that data it would be very difficult and risky business and that's where the factoring comes into play so it sits at the top of the value chain and it's a very sticky product. People rarely switch unless like they get terrible terms or terrible service. They don't switch, it's sticky. And it gives you tons of information about your customer. And they are, and they, they are planning to expand their uh, revenues from these other services uh, so they can reduce the money that they're making from factoring. And once they get to zero percent factoring, of course, uh, it will be uh, very disruptive. Wow! So, so right now you said they have what two two percent, but they're moving to a zero percent around two percent. Like I, you know, I think it depends on the, the yeah, yeah, yeah around two percent. I would say. So, does it use a blockchain or is that basically no, 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 no? It's <laughs> a good question. No, they, <laughs> they they don't use blockchain. Well, I think what's going to happen in the space before. You know, and again, this is just pontificating a little bit. I can see a place where we start using that Internet of Things, or as I like to call it, the Internet of Trucking. And when that load is hits the system as delivered, the payment's going to happen. And maybe to the trucking company, maybe to the the manufacturer or distributor. And the reason I say that is I, every once in a while, I, I work with technology people and they say, pay me now. I'm not a bank. <laughs> and it is a funny thing how we've gotten in this mode of I'm going to fund my company by by not paying everyone on time. And it's gone on for a long time. It goes on over the whole world. It's not just here. I think we pay pretty quick here compared to other places. But you could see like a trucking company, though, really struggling when they start getting late payments. Yep. And I got to pay that $200,000 truck payment. I got to pay drivers on the road. And it's no joke. I can't take the next load sometimes because I don't have enough money. Absolutely. Put gas in the tank. And guys, if there's one thing we talk about a lot on my podcast, it's how we have disrespected the drivers for a long time. And the idea that they're stuck on the road with no money or... Uh, not enough money to put in the tank to get to their next job. No wonder we got problems. So I love this. I love what you're doing here. By the way, before we hit record, I said this to you. I say it all the time on my podcast. This is FinTech meets Freight yeah. Tech. And I think, I'm guessing Basic Block will connect to my systems also. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is this a yeah. digital native? It is digital native. Everything is digital, not nothing paper, like every, mobile even more because 
Now the, the, the truck driver is on the road, so everything has to be mobile. Sit. I don't know how all factoring companies are right now, but for a long time, there was stuff with faxes and there was different systems. And so I like the digital native, like basic block, because it connects to my system. And I don't want to have to go outside my system to get factoring, do factoring. And this is, an, a, again, another enabler. So it's not, again, like a lot of these new uh, digital brokers or marketplaces or carrier side systems, they integrate with basic block to handle their payments. Right. And by the way, we, I think uh, people know it. I think it's companies like Convoy are paying trucking. If the trucking companies that are using their app, they'll say, we'll pay you as soon as you deliver it. As the, so they're giving an incentive for using their app. And when I interviewed them, one of the things I heard from them was every once in a while, a truck driver will say to us that, the shipper said, oh, we don't have to go through convoy. We'll just go. And they said, will you pay me the same day? And they say, no, <laughs> like, we'll stick with convoy. Yeah, it's a big differentiator. Yep. <laughs> so I think in a lot of ways, these trucking companies are going to start looking and going, you know what? I'm, I'm, they're already doing it, but we're going to see a big who's paying fast. And I think you, if you don't pay fast, if you can't pay same day, next day, you're going to go, you're going to be at a disadvantage. It's becoming table stakes. Absolutely. And this is, uh, <laughs> I also said to you before we hit record, that uh, the number one question in this business is where's my stuff? And the number two question in this where's business, is where's my money? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to summarize these and then I want to get your final thoughts. And then I want to hear a little more about Auto So we talked about three trends. First is this idea of automation and it's really robotic process automation and IPA, which is intelligent process automation. It's taking away the clerk work and making it more automated. And there's no reason we can't take those PDF documents or emails and turn them into something that's in our system without a clerk having to do it. Love that. We're going to see more and more of that. And you had clear now as your, your investment. The next thing you talked about is this aggregation level. How do we get how do we get all these information so we can make better decisions with and that is neutral. And the reason is because neutral is neutral. <laughs> and then last but not least, we just talked about freight factoring, and I will call it digital native, because there are lots of freight factoring companies that are out there that go, hey, yeah, Brock, that's fine. I'm gonna you just download a piece of paper from our doc and you print that out and fax it over and we'll be on our merry way. Yeah. <laughs> like a realtor. <laughs> yeah, and we'll charge you four percent for that, you know? Yes. So final thoughts. No, I you know, uh I hope it was apparent, but I truly enjoy investing in uh logistics. And we talk about this before recording. It's like with COVID and supply chain issues, I think logistics space and supply chain technology got a lot of attention, both from capital point of view uh, and uh, founders were flocking into this space, uh, seeing the big opportunity. Unfortunately, I think there will be a lot of like terrible stories. A lot of, I think, new companies, new technology companies will go, go out of business and uh, you know some investors will lose money. It's because it's like it's a very complex industry. It's, it's it's a huge industry. 
it's very uh, complicated so many different players so much is going on you cannot just wake up one day it's like hey i'm gonna start a business in the logistics space and then you know hope to be successful like it's there are a lot of nuances and details and i'm I'm learning every day. Like I, I love oh, talking to my the founders I work with or the new founders, and because every call I'm learning something new, and it's like it seems like there is no end to it. So, but yeah, I love it. I, 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 I think you know though we are scratching just a little bit of that opportunity. There is a huge opportunity with what technology can achieve in this industry. And uh, as Autotech, we are, you know, our, uh, as I mentioned, we have our new fund, $175 million. We are actively investing in early stage startups in ground transportation. And we, as part of that, we love founders tackling uh, logistics pain points. So, and anyone you can find me on linkedin i actually have office hours so anybody can sign up for my public office hours if they i just saw those to... they're right at they're right on your linkedin profile i'll put them in the show notes too yeah absolutely i would love that yeah i'm i'm always here to talk about logistics and uh, learn from founders and even though we talked about three trends if somebody has some idea that's oh, outside yeah. of those three trends of you're course. still you're willing to learn more <laughs> of course we made investments in those three trends so we are now looking for the <laughs> Uh, new, new, new stuff. So, of course. Now, are you also investing in? I know these. Everything we talked about today was digital type product. Do you also invest in, say, mobility stuff like um, new vehicles or? Well, I did see charging systems was that one of your investments. Do you do that kind of stuff too? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's it's in our scope. So uh, we have a couple of investments. We have a couple of uh, micro mobility, like shared mobility, scooter, e bike type of investments. Uh, we have one trucking related investment called Truck Labs. Uh, it's a hardware product that goes between. Yeah, the they've truck. been on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. So that's a hardware product that helps reduce fuel consumption. So yeah, we definitely look at uh, hardware uh, startups as well. Excellent. Oh, oh, by the way, since I said Barack, it just reminded me. You told me that used to be called one thing and now you're called <laughs> another thing. So you're called Barack and it's not spelled like President Obama, but it's it pronounced is like that. pronounced the same way. But before you were called Barack, <laughs> what were you called? Yeah, no, it's a funny story. I think that that would be, we'll, we'll end the conversation with a funny story. <laughs> uh, hopefully leave a, leave a smile on a listener's face. But yeah, so before Obama was the president, whenever I introduced myself, people would be like, oh, like Borat, the, the movie character. And I would be like, no, 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 I don't want to be associated with him. So when Obama became the president, it was a very pleasant upgrade for associations. <laughs> you went from kind of the bottom to the top. Yeah, like that. to the top. So right. now it's easy. Like, yeah. yeah, like Obama. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I got it. That's funny. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and also put a link to uh, – Autotech Ventures, uh, their website, and any of the links you and your marketing team give me, I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. Perfect. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for having me over and thanks for the uh, great warm conversation. Yeah. Yeah, Borat, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.